Sunday was a day of goodbyes, and some were a lot sadder than others. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast where we talk about all the Major League Baseball. I am yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for well over a decade now, and we just finished the fifth full season, regular season. As a member of the Lockdown Podcast Network, thanks so much for making us your first listen every day. And if you are someone who listens to us every day, uh, make sure to comment on the show and use the hashtag Everyday Sully so I know who's out there. Uh, you can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter or whatever it's called now, and Instagram. And I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. I'm giving you a bonus episode today. We are going to have. We had the episode on Sunday and Monday, you know, the, we did the show that uh, we dropped with Millard and we're going to have a whole bunch of playoff previews and we're probably going to have a show every single day until the end of the World Series. Um, or at least we're gonna, if there's an off day, maybe, maybe I'll skip one, but I don't know. I probably won't. I won't be able to resist. But this is, I guess, a bonus episode, um, but it's one that I really feel is important to do because... I want to address all the goodbyes that we just had as baseball fans. And I also want to address the thing I do every single year. If you follow me on Sully Baseball on Twitter and uh, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram, you'll see that I keep a pair of tallies of who owned baseball and of the summer score. And in segment two, we're going to talk a little bit about those and how my silly little stat uh, is really a is a pretty accurate reflection on the year of players and of the experiences of the fans. But I would be remiss if I didn't address the saddest thing that happened yesterday. It's always sad when the season ends and there's some people you know for sure are going away, but uh, the death of Tim Wakefield was an absolute, absolute roundhouse kick to the face. It was... It was a gut punch, and I I got legitimately sad because Tim Wakefield, as someone who is a, a, a native New Englander who grew up with the Red Sox, who I also have some connections to Melbourne, Florida, uh, where Tim Wakefield is from. Uh, it's, it's where I made my big, vid, my big film project um, a couple of decades ago. Uh, Tim Wakefield is someone who... Uh, as just as a player, had a wonderful career. He won 200 games. He had a 19-year career. Uh, he was a World Series champion multiple times, was a Cy Young contender, was an all-star, and, and and he had some tremendous moments. In fact, he was the answer to a trivia question that I had just last week, which I said that what player would have won two league championship series MVPs, if not for two famous game seven collapses in the league championship series. One were the pirates who fell apart in the final inning 
of the 92 NLCS. And of course, the Red Sox and Grady Little in 2003. Notice I do not blame Wakefield for letting up the Boone home run. But you know, because you know the, he was bound to let up something, it wasn't his fault that they were in extra innings. Anyway, I digress. Uh, he had a phenomenal career with the Red Sox and became a mainstay. When he was a, he was a, a, a sensation when he came up with the Pirates in '92, but had a bad '93 and was out of base out of the major leagues in '94. The Red Sox gave him a shot after the strike, and he finished third in the Cy Young vote. And you could have made a case that he was the most valuable Red Sox that year. Mo Vaughn won the MVP, but it was Wakefield who solidified that rotation and gave the Red Sox the ace when they won the division title in 1995. Now, I want you to take a moment to think about this for a second. That team that won the division in 1995 still had Roger Clemens on the team, still had Mike Greenwell on the team. So he played in the postseason alongside two people who were on the 1986 World Series team. And throughout all the managerial changes and the Dan Duquette years and the the tides back and forth, Kevin Kennedy, Jimmy Williams, the fiasco that happened in 2001, the disaster happened with the whole Joe Kerrigan and everything, and then the new ownership and in comes Grady Little. In his final year with the Red Sox, which was sadly the 2011 disaster, his teammates were people like David Ortiz and Dustin Pedroia and Jared Saltalamacchia, who were all part of the Boston Strong World Series. He was the connective tissue of 86 to 2013. Actually, one year he played with Dennis Eckersley. Remember, Dennis Eckersley came back to the Red Sox and finished his career. So he was also teammates with someone from the 78 team. He was someone who, look at, I, I watched Tim Wakefield's entire time with the Red Sox. Here's something no one ever said. How was Wakefield last night? He was okay. That never happened. It was always he was brilliant or he got shelled. And that was the beauty of the knuckleballer because there, there seemed to be no in-between there. But he gave them innings every year. Bunch of years. I mean, he would always give them close to 200 innings a year. And he also gave Veritek a night off because Veritek couldn't catch him. So they had to have a Doug Mirabelli or someone else to actually catch the knuckleball. So it kept Veritek fresh. And he did come up big in games. I mean, he won two games in the ALCS against the Yankees. And, but, you know, people tend to remember he let up the Boone home run. So with that in mind, he became one of the great unsung heroes of the 2004 ALCS. When they got clobbered in game three, he came out of the bullpen to eat a bunch of innings in the game that was started by Bronson Arroyo. And then in game five, he had to come out in extra innings and pitch to Varitek, who couldn't catch, the, couldn't catch his pitch. And he got a key strikeout, bases loaded strikeout of Ruben Sierra. And he wound up getting the victory in the underrated Game five of that ALCS. Later, he was the starting pitcher of game one of the World Series. But beyond what he did on the field, he had the reputation of being probably the most loved Red Sox of that time. He had an amazing contract because he pitched till he was 44 years old. And he basically could just renew it whenever he wanted. It was like the reverse reserve clause that he had, which he could just say, oh, I'll come back another year. 
And the Red Sox were fine because they knew, hey, we'll get innings. And everyone loves Wakefield. And, you know, people talked about, like, there was these these images of when the Red Sox won the pennant in 04 and how Johnny Damon made sure that Tim Wakefield held the the American League Championship trophy because of what had happened the year before. He should have been the ALCS MVP, but he wound up serving up the Boone home run to make sure he knows that what he meant to the team. Even Joe Torre, when he was doing the press conference at the end of the 2004 ALCS, singled out Wakefield. How he obviously was crushed by what happened, but he was happy for Tim Wakefield. Wakefield did tremendous charity work, was a mainstay of Jimmy Fund fundraisers, even beyond his retirement, was beloved as a Boston Red Sox, and was one of those sort of figures in Red Sox baseball history, like Johnny Pesky, like Luis Tiant, people who were fine players, but whose impact on the team seemed to be greater than just the fact that they were good players. And for that reason, seeing him die before he was 60, it was just a devastating moment. Baseball has this illusion, and we'll get to this a little bit later, that the past, present, and future are all happening simultaneously. It has a timeless illusion. But every once in a while, something happens that just kicks it right where you don't want to be kicked. And just as the season was ending, the reminder of, you know, there is time. Time is working against people. And when you lose someone, God, of all the people to take of the world, why would you take Tim Wakefield? Seriously, we could spare a lot of other people. But Tim Wakefield, beloved Red Sox, and my inbox exploded with people. A lot of them were Yankee fans who wrote to me things like, I'm sorry for your loss. Like, they get it. We all get it. They are superstars, and they are legends, they are Hall of Famers. And as the memory of Tim Wakefield fades, it'll be difficult to have people understand in future generations why he was so significant. So for now, I'll just say, rest in peace, Mr. Wakefield, and thank you for, wow, literally generations of memories. I'm going to get a little bit to the... Um, um, the uh what was happening oh do i have the wrong do i have the wrong background clip for this i think i do well that could be changed in a heartbeat um yeah i do have the wrong background forgive me this is when you try to do a, a a bonus episode that you're not uh weren't really originally planning to do um there it is that's the correct background here because the uh my rundown over there was the wrong rundown Look, it happens when you're your own producer and you're doing a bonus episode. Um, just a couple of quick things. There's, there were a lot of goodbyes that were said. Uh, some of them were cheerful goodbyes. Just to sort of thank you for the memory. Zach Grinke pitched one last terrific game. One of my favorite players in all of baseball. A guy who just did not give an F, and I love that about him. 
In Zach Greinke's final game, he beat the Yankees, pitched five strong innings. It was farewell to Miguel Caprera. Uh, did Joey Votto get thrown out of the game in his final game at home with the Reds? I think that may have happened. Uh, Terry Francona, by the way, it was a wonderful article, interview with him uh, in the New York Times on Sunday, going over his life. It is fabulous. And, you know, there's another figure from the Reds, my favorite Red Sox era. Um, and, you know, I mentioned Cabrera. Um, there was another big guy, Wayne, Wayne Wright. Is he gone? I think he was. That was his final one, too. Um, great players all around. Buck Showalter uh, was resigned. And basically, the new ownership gave him the choice. Resign or be fired. Um, I get it. Look, at I think Buck Schultz is a great manager. And a, he's a Johnny Appleseed of division titles. Wherever he goes, the team goes to the postseason. But I get it. First of all, they're bringing in David Stearns to run the team. And what they are doing in New York with the Mets is they are going to do a true rebuild. They're going to rebuild from within the farm system, from the draft to the trades. They're going to rebuild. And maybe they may stink next year, but they are going to build a championship, which a generation of New York fans have not experienced. The whole, you can't rebuild in New York. The Mets are saying, watch us and watch them put a winner on the team before the Yankees or the Knicks or the Nets or the Giants or the Jets or any of them. Watch them put a winner on the field ahead of them, and suddenly the Mets become the most beloved team of a generation, even if it takes a couple of years. But when you have a new general manager come in, of course they're going to want to pick their own person. Of course they're going to, they have an idea of who they're going to go with. Now, will Buck Showalter be a good fit for the Giants, especially if the Padres double down and keep Bob Melvin? I don't know, but one thing I will tell you, Buck Showalter managed the Yankees. They, the strike wiped away what could have been a pennant in 1994. They let Showalter go in 95. The Yankees win the World Series in 96. The He goes to the Diamondbacks, build the expansion Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks go to the postseason with him, but he clashes with ownership. They let him go. The next year, they win the World Series. Goes to Texas. Gets Texas back on their feet. They, he wins a manager of the year with the Texas Rangers. Eventually, they clash. They let him go. Ron Washington comes in. They get to within one Nelson Cruz leap of winning the World Series, but they win back-to-back pennants. Goes to Baltimore. Takes them to the ALCS, but things start to fall apart. Didn't handle the wildcard game so well. They let him go. Brandon Hyde comes in. They have 100-win team, best team in the American League. Now the Mets have let him go. If the Orioles make it to the World Series, that means every team that he leaves goes to the World Series not long after he goes. So maybe that's what the Mets are thinking. Well, that's what you do. You got to rebuild and let Buck Showalter go. Maybe the Giants should do that. Hire him and then fire him, and they go right back to the World Series. I feel badly for Buck Showalter because he eventually should have a pennant. I thought he was going to definitely win that pennant with Baltimore in 2014, but I digress. Hey, I'm going to bring this up. I I do a tally. I have a pair of tallies that I do. Um, one of which is called Who Owns Baseball? And the other is called The Summer Score. And I do both of those throughout the regular season. And it can sometimes be a bit of a pain in the butt. 
because you can't miss a day when you do those. Now, it tends to be part of my uh, get up in the morning ritual and update who owns baseball and who up to the summer score, but it means I got a tiny bit more sleep in the off season. Now, who owns baseball is a tally that I keep where I look at who had the best day for an American League pitcher, a National League pitcher, American League hitter, a National League hitter. And the best day on a winning team gets one WOB. WOB stands for who won baseball. The best player on a team that lost that day gets half a WOB. Because I don't want to, if someone had a very good day, but they, you know, their team happened to lose, I don't want to penalize them, but I also got to lean a little more for someone who helped the team win. And I keep that tally all year long. From the first day until yesterday. It's a regular season situation. And normally you see that whoever has the highest WAB total kind of mimics who are the top MVP candidates and Cy Young candidates. Now the summer score is a very different tally. That's me figuring out how a team, I believe a team of owes their fan base an entertaining summer. And so I keep a track of how long a team is in a playoff spot, starting at Memorial Day. Because I think before Memorial Day, it's ridiculous to look at the standings. It's too small a sample size. But I think the summer psychologically begins at Memorial Day. So if you wake up on Memorial Day and you look at the standings on your phone or the paper, wherever you get it, and say, hey, we're in a playoff spot, you start to get a little excited. In from you know, in June, every day a team is in a playoff spot, they get one point. In July, it's a little bit later in the year, they get two points for every day they're one of the playoff teams. When you get to August, you start thinking maybe we've got a real shot. That's three points every day. And by the time you get to September, you get four points every day. And if you're within one game of a playoff spot in September, which is still exciting, you get an extra point. And so keeping that in mind, just look at the summer score. Four teams gave their fan base a perfect summer. That is, they were in a playoff spot from Memorial Day through the end of the year. Those four teams were the Orioles, the Rays, the Braves, and the Dodgers. And that lines up. Those are the two best teams in the American League, two best teams in the National League. Now you'll see that some of the other teams, that, and by the way, the highest score, a perfect score, is 315. Go figure. The Astros had a score of 309. They There was a couple of days in June where they fell out of the playoff spot. The Twins have a score of 301, except for one little stretch where the Guardians went into first place. They were in first place for most of the year. The Brewers, the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, they all had very high scores. Remember the Diamondbacks went on that great stretch, then they fell apart in August, but then they picked themselves back up. Now, and the Blue Jays also were over 200. Now, I take a look at the teams that had triple-digit summer scores but didn't make it to the postseason. The Seattle Mariners, the San Francisco Giants, the Chicago Cubs, the Cincinnati Reds. Now, it's frustrating for the Mariners, for the Giants, the, for the Reds, for the Cubs to know that they put up triple digits on that. 
and miss the postseason. But it does show you where the summer score has a little bit of validity. If you were a Giants fan, I was in the Bay Area for a giant chunk of this summer, no pun intended. There was a lot of excitement about the Giants. They were fun to watch. There was a lot of excitement about the Reds, who called up all their best players, and suddenly they were young and exciting, and for a chunk of time were in first place. There was a lot of excitement if you were a Mariner fan. Did you get a championship? No, but you got a summer, and that's nothing to sneeze at. Now, if you take a look at who owned baseball, well, the it's in, it's interesting that the the American League batters with the highest who owned baseball total were tied: Shohei Otani with nine and a half, and Corey Seager with nine and a half. And I think that Otani is going to run away with the most valuable player, and Corey Seager is going to be one of the top vote getters as well. Um, the person who led the league, there was a three-way tie. For the American League pitchers with the highest WAP total, Chris Bassett and Kevin Gosman of the Toronto Blue Jays and Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees. If the Yankees could have held on to some of his leads in the middle of the season, he would have run away with us. But those are three people. Cole is the Cy Young Award winner, but Bassett and Gosman were both tremendous pitchers. The person who led the National League as a hitter was Freddie Freeman with nine. But right behind him was Ronald Acuna Jr. And right behind him was Mookie Betts. So just me picking who had the best day, who had the best day, you're pretty much getting all of the finalists. By the way, who do I have as leading the the National League in pitching? Zach Gallen with nine and a half. Now, uh, Blake Snell is two behind him. Sometimes those half wobs add up. By the way, the highest wob total altogether was Shohei Otani with nine and a half as a hitter and four as a pitcher. So all together combined, he had a 13 and a half wob. So me just picking these, not quite at random, but just as subjectively, gets us to a final, gets us to finalists in all of the categories that are pretty close to what we're going to get for the MVP and the Cy Young. So maybe my method is not so crazy. But I'm going to kind of miss doing my tallies every day, but I come back to it. But missing it and coming back to it and the idea of a summer, well, that's kind of what I want to talk about at the end. Talked about how a baseball team owes its fan base a summer. And Giant fans and Mariner fans and Cub fans and Red fans, they don't get the postseason, but there's a reason to go to the ballpark. It was a lot of fun. It's the end of the regular season. Now, it's interesting. What most people remember about a year in baseball is October, right? And so people remember the postseason. A sport that is so associated with spring and summer is best remembered for the events that happened in the fall. This is dessert. This is this is the the fun part. This is the 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 pie and the ice cream at the end of a meal. But let's not forget the meal. Let's not forget what a regular season means if you're a baseball fan. And it's not always about winning. 
It's not always about you're going to win the World Series. There aren't 29 fan bases every year who walk away feeling like it was a failure. That would just be impossible. The game couldn't function that way. On the final day of the season, I got to see on all the different social medias that I'm on. Media, Social media, I guess, is the correct term. I saw all these people posting pictures. You got the great Daniel Sepulveda, who's been a guest on the show, who's one of the biggest Mets fans I've ever seen in my life, posting stuff about going to one last Met game, a game they lost. My friend Wesley Hoffman, who is the, the, the single craziest A's fan I've ever met in my life, posted a lot of things about the A's. Believe me, the A's didn't win anything this year, and they may be gone soon. All my friends who are New York sports fans or Chicago sports fans in the Bay Area are posting things, saying goodbye to the regular season. My great friend Melissa Monto, who is up in Boston, who's posting a lot of things where she's outside Fenway Park, they're, they're playing in Baltimore. But she's a rabid Boston fan, and she was posting all these things, saying goodbye to the team. Why would a Met fan say goodbye to a team that was a massive letdown? Why would my Yankee fan friends say goodbye to this disappointing season? Why was Wes Hoffman pointing stuff about the A's who lost 100-some-odd games are probably going to be gone in 18 months? Because a baseball season is a companion. It's a friend. And friends don't always come through for you. Friends don't always win. Friends aren't always there and it's a birthday party at the end of each time you see them a baseball season now look at maybe i'm biased because i'm a baseball fan but i can't imagine you get the same emotion following a football team you only have a football team once a week that is a party that is a celebrity that's a that's for some people going to church once a week or doing whatever you do with your once a week ritual but baseball teams there every day And that's an important thing. It's an important thing to know that your team is on. Your team is playing. And it can't always be because you're going to win the World Series this year. Then it would no longer be special. And it's not always about the team is good. Sometimes you check in on them. The Red Sox weren't that good this year. But they gave us some memories this year. They were a lot of fun. Sweeping the Yankees, a couple of big games here or there, the Duval home run. The A's were dreadful, but they had that winning streak and the reverse boycott and a couple of big wins where they're playing Celebration by Cool and the Gang. You know, the Yankees had a massively disappointing season, but they had a couple of huge wins, a couple of walk-off home runs, times to have fun, and they brought up some young players who gave them a little spark of excitement. But following your team day in and day out is part of the love of the team, part of what makes a regular season so special. I just was looking at Tim Wakefield's uh, stats in his career, and I remember some of those years were some of the greatest years ever to be a Red Sox fan. Not just the fact that he was on the 04 and 07 World Series Championship, but he was on the 99 team where Pedro was so dominant. 
or he played alongside Nomar and Mo Vaughn, and they were so much fun to play to, to to watch play. And some of those years they were really good, and some of those years like two thousand or you know two thousand and one or two thousand six, that was a disappointment. But I have memories of those years. They're years where they're your companion. I never forget watching the Giants with my dad towards the end of his life. And the Giants weren't that good. But they were there. There were many years growing up when I was I got the Red Sox 82 uh, yearbook behind me. I started really following baseball in 1979. And I never saw the Red Sox really in a pennant race, with the exception of the strike year in 81. They were not really in a pennant race until I was in high school. And yet I was still following them. That's what a baseball season is. It's a friend. They're your friends for the year. They're the people you follow for the year. They're there because... Sometimes you need to have a ball game on. Sometimes you're leaving from work and you're in California and it's been a long day. It's 4.30 and you see the games on the East Coast have started. I just need to listen to a game. How are my guys doing today? Ah, oh, they're getting walloped. It doesn't matter. Or I remember being on the East Coast when I was living in New York and New England all those years. Sometimes it was late at night. And you just turn the West Coast game on. I just want to sit and watch a game. Sometimes it doesn't matter who's playing. I can't tell you how many times my wife asks, who's winning? I said, why are you watching this game? I don't care. I just need a game on. I'm watching Rockies Padres. That's what I need right now. And I think about times, and there are fans that you know are up. And you can text them or send them a message. They're your friends. And with the regular season, it's like saying goodbye to your friend for a while. Now, it's tempered by the postseason. You have fun with that. But there are plenty of people out there. You see them posting. Most of the fans are going home for the rest of the year. But it's important to know that your friends will be back. And they may win. You may get a summer. Hey, you may get lucky, get a championship every once in a while. But that's not the point. The point is every year, you know, if you need a ball game on, it's there. No one's guaranteeing you a win. But we're guaranteeing you a summer. And hopefully I can fulfill some of that. Hopefully I can fulfill some little love that you have of the game that I can be your friend and companion to watch all these games with. And believe me, the hard part is about to happen. In about a month, a World Series champion will be crowned. I think it's probably going to be Atlanta. And the day after that, bleak, it'll be gone. And once we hit November, all the way through spring, spring training, I'll still be here doing my best to simulate that feeling of, I just need a ball game. I don't care who's pitching. I just need to watch a game. 
You can't do that if you're a football fan. Sometimes you can't do it as a basketball. Basketball doesn't play every day. Hockey doesn't play every day. Baseball is the only one where they're on every day. And that's why it's the greatest sport of all, in my opinion. So, go to Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter or on Instagram. You can follow me. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Saying goodbye. Some happy goodbyes. Some sad. This has been a bonus Locked On MLB for the second day of October 2023. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.